Welcome to the Draft Deeper Podcast. This is your host, Nathan Grubel. Joining me, as always, is my producer, Kevin Black. And this week, a very, very special guest who has now been courteous to come on for a third try due to some technical difficulties. I apologize for everyone not being able to get this out earlier in the week, but it's better late than never. A wonderful man for, for one to come on at this point. Author of Basketball is Jazz. Author, writer, contributor, podcaster for the True Hoop Network, and a player development coach for many years, which is incredibly fitting because of our NBA rookie series we're in the middle of right now. Coach David Thorpe. Coach, how are you doing on a Sunday morning? Uh, all is well. And those difficulties technically were probably mine. Uh, I know you guys were very sweet to say that there were some issues maybe with the Verizon, but uh, I think we had some connection issues um, at the street level at my house. So they sent Spectrum supposedly sent their top guy to fix it because the first time they failed. And uh, so far, so good. I don't want to I don't want to jinx anything, but um, I've, been <laughs> I've been watching video and on Zoom calls the last 48 hours and everything's been perfect. So so for the best and I'm happy to uh, try to get this one right for you. I, I was also watching some of your earlier podcasts this from 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 earlier this week and and everything on your end was picture perfect but those podcasts were a part of the true hoop network something that you've been involved with for for quite a while and one of the things i definitely want to make sure we hit on at the start of this podcast coach is why don't you give my audience a little bit more of a background of who you are and, and your basketball journey throughout the years because it's a very interesting story and it's going to give a great picture to what we're going to be talking about today okay sure so I'm 56, just turned 56 last month, and I started coaching. I played high school basketball, then went to University of Florida and started coaching in 1987. Uh, the reason why I started coaching is because I met a super hot blonde that, that summer before I was heading to grad school in California. I, I was living in Florida at the time where I grew up, and I had a choice of going to grad school in California and not seeing the girl again. Uh, going to write, I was offered a writing job for actually a football, a very good football publication based in uh, Northbrook, Illinois, Chicago area of Illinois. But I couldn't see the girl and I wanted to see about that girl. So I stayed in town, took a coaching job, really just to see if I can convince her to come date me. It took a while, but uh, she became my wife three years later. And I actually liked coaching. So I was a high school coach. We, we were very good. Where I coached in St. Pete, there was a lot of mid to high major talents. Uh, we won a lot of championships and produced a number of Division I players. One of them went to Florida and started for the Gators uh, for three years at center, went to the Final Four. His name is Demetra Hill. He started at center for them for three years. And I realized, you know, during that process, I, I'm you know, pretty good at coaching. And I, I had a feel for helping players get better. I spent, I have I've not said this to you in, in the previous two versions we've tried on this, <laughs> but I was lucky enough to have these good players. So college is recruiting uh, my, my guys. And I met some very famous coaches who were recruiting our players to include Rick Pitino. I worked Pitino's camp. I met Billy Donovan. He was a grad assistant. Tubby Smith was an assistant coach at Kentucky there as well. But I, when I went there and, uh, I had videotapes that Coach Donovan created for me from Kentucky's teams to work with my players on. And so I was, I was focused on player development really uh, uh, urgently uh, at my high school team. 
And then in 92, uh, I was offered a college job and I just was worried. I had some friends that were coaching in college at that point and they were struggling with their marriages or in some cases they had kids. And I just didn't want that. So I, I decided to try a different route. And I thought that maybe people would pay me to work with their players if I left the school I was at. And, uh, and so I opened up my first basketball academy like in 1993. But no one really around the country, as far as we know, was doing that, for money anyway. So I ended up having about 75 full-time clients that were coming in one to three times a week, really. A lot of very, very good basketball players at the high school level, some at the middle school level. And then I, I started some other businesses too. And over time, agents started to call me to work with their pro players. So I guess in 99, I started doing professional basketball players overseas. Masai Ujiri was one of my, like, like almost like an intern for me. I met Masai because I'd been working with some of his what, a Nigerian player named Illumide Oyedeji that played for the, he was a second round pick for the Sonics. Mm -hmm. I met Masai that uh, summer in, at the Boston Summer League called Shaw's Summer League. And, and uh, it seemed like it, there was a real business to work with players and get them better, not just for the draft, which, which uh, a few people were doing at that point. I was just one of them. Uh, but during the season two, so I started working with players year round. They would come to me during the season and then the off and then I'm sure in the off season during the season, I would just help guide them in their process of trying to play better basketball. Uh, a lot of NBA coaches don't really coach their players. They just play them, which is fine. But they need coaching still. And so there was seemed to be a niche there for me that I've still been doing now. So that was my first client in the NBA was, that was working with full-time was uh, in 2003, and here we are, 2021. And in the meantime, starting in 07, ESPN hired me to be kind of an, an analyst for them. I did that for a decade, and, and then uh, I, I fin was finishing my final contract when um, I left. And two years later, the founder of True Hoop, which was at one point an ESPN property, and before that it was its own entity, Henry Abbott was a dear, dear friend of mine at ESPN. And before he went to ESPN, he got there a little bit after me. We started uh, TrueHoop.com in 2019. And then we started a podcast called Bring It In. And right after, in fact, we're going on our one-year anniversary for the podcast, Bring It In, started the pandemic. We just thought when people were locked at home, we just thought we need to bring it in like you do in pickup and talk. And so we started doing it five days a week. I think it was March, maybe 17th, we started our first one. We do an hour a day. Back then, we do it every day, Monday through Friday. Now we do it Monday, Wednesday, Friday, 11 a.m. Live for our subscribers at True Hoop. And then we post it on YouTube for anyone to, to want to listen to it or watch it. And we've interviewed lots of NBA head coaches, players, executives. Uh, we've interviewed virus science, science writers, uh, writers that cover the sport, uh, writers that cover the athletes' bodies and, and scientists that work with athletes' bodies. So it's really a, a, a good exploration into all levels of basketball. And so, yeah, so my basic days are I work with players and watch them on film, both in Europe, live, as well as in the NBA and the G League. I cover the NBA with True Hoop. I, I publish at least an article a week. Then we do three shows. And um, 
And then I just started a player development app called at the pro training center.com. We haven't yet put it into an app store yet, but it's in beta, but uh, basically it's my voice and our drills and my curriculum, try to help players to play better basketball. A lot of skill developers are really big on kind of the tricks of the game, the cool shots and the fun dribbles. I've always believed you should try to help players win more games. And maybe that's the coach. Me. So our workouts are basically built around helping you win basketball games for your team. And of course we do drills to help on ball handling and shooting and, 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 and every possible skill you need, but it's within the context of learning how to play. And I would argue that if you, for example, watch the G league, you're going to see really talented players that don't yet know how to play. And we, we try to address that in our, in our app, just like I would, if you were a professional client of mine and our, our, our players in our app get to speak to me on the phone, we text with them, we're in touch. And, um, Guiding them that way, just as if they were a player of mine in the NBA, I think is how we're going to help them get to be the best player they can be. So that's what I do each day, all day. Absolutely. You're certainly more than qualified to be talking about some of these NBA rookies and talking about basketball, the game in general, with, with me here on this podcast. So we're going to start with, with a few names here, some of the more popular NBA rookies. But before we get into that maybe a little off topic you brought up the g league since this is a draft podcast i have just like a general question for you coach if you wouldn't mind answering it for me so the ignite team is a startup this year brand new program with a mix of nba veterans and some of the top prospects who certainly are big names and would have remained big names regardless of whether they went this route or they went to a major college program what what were your thoughts when you first heard that this was going to be something that the NBA was exploring a different pathway for, for, for some of these players. I'm, I'm very curious on your take on that. So I'm biased towards the program that my son chose to play for. I think they do an amazing job with development, which is why I wanted him there. But uh, they don't have, no program has a monopoly on player development, nor does the NBA. I think that, and I just tweeted about this recently. Uh, maybe I didn't tweet it. I may have messaged someone about it. I think players, some of them benefit from going to college, some of them benefit from going right to the pros. And really it's a lot based on where you go, not just for colleges. Like in the NBA, if Tim Duncan doesn't get drafted by the Spurs, I don't think he ends up being this Tim Duncan, right? Uh, if LaMelo Ball doesn't go to the Charlotte Hornets, I don't think he's this LaMelo Ball. Now we're only two months in. I, I think their coach has done a great job. I, I really am impressed with how the franchise has handled him. Every player, I could say that about, with some exceptions. There are a few players that no matter where they go, they're going to be unbelievable. Giannis Antetokounmpo probably would be amazing wherever he went. Probably. Kawhi Leonard wouldn't. Uh, and so I think that the NBA isn't necessarily expert at developing anybody. Individual people and franchises might be. And it remains to be seen whether or not this experiment will work. I, I like the idea. It's a long way for me to feel like they know what they're doing just yet. And it's only been a month. It's hard to, no one's going to be amazing in just a month anyway. So the jury's out. Let's hope, I'm hopeful. Let's put it that way. It's certainly been debated through the test of time is where an NBA player ultimately ends up can absolutely play a big factor into what he becomes. And that's been a question about Anthony Edwards. That's going to be a question about Anthony Edwards. One of the top college prospects coming into the league this year, the number one overall pick 
in the NBA draft by the Minnesota Timberwolves has had about a start as you'd expect for any rookie with that kind of cachet to his name coming into the league right away has had his moments, but has also had his downturns. But it, it, at this point, he's I think he's actually had a few pretty decent positive moments, and we can start on the offensive end. He's averaging close to 15 points per game. His, his shooting numbers aren't great. The 37% from the field overall, you'd like to see that come up a little bit more, and I'm sure that Coach will get into it, that a little bit when we talk about how he's looking to score. Um, 31% from the three-point line, and that equates out to 31% on corner threes as well, and 80% from the free throw line. So clearly a bigger part of his game that seems to be missing at this point is taking more advantage of actually getting to the line and attacking the basket overall versus just settling for some of these pull-up long twos and then the three-point shot, the three-ball, he's taken six threes a game. So that's clearly a big part of what he wants to do. But shot selection can lead to those lower shooting percentages. And in turn, a lot of bad shots leading to potential easy transition buckets for the other team on the other end. So, Coach, why don't you share with the audience some of your thoughts about Anthony Edwards and how he's taken his approach to his offensive game early in his career? What are some of the things you may be able to clean up there? Oh, it's a mess. So uh, (laughs) there's a lot to clean up. Uh, There's also a lot of talent. You know, him... His ability to go downhill, you know, reminds me of, of Dwayne Wade when he does that. I don't remember who he was compared to coming out, like a, a bigger Donovan Mitchell maybe. I don't really know. It's funny you um, say that Dwayne Wade actually made a comment that he watches Anthony Edwards and he thinks that Anthony Edwards could be better than him potentially. So it's interesting that you say that name. Oh, okay. I didn't know that. Well, I saw, I saw every single game Dwayne Wade played as a rookie because I had a client on the team. So um, that was that was my first client. So uh, yeah, I'm glad. I, it's pretty obvious to me. They're amazing athletes. Uh, I think that Dwayne was quicker and faster, and maybe Edwards jumps a little bit better. You'd rather be quicker and faster than jump higher, actually. If you can't beat someone to get to the rim, what does it matter how high you jump? Uh, Edwards though is much much more inclined to shoot perimeter shots, whereas Wade really couldn't. So he wanted to get to the rim all the time. And I happen to like that, although I love shooting. Uh, it's just, it was an easier transition for Dwayne, I think, because you just couldn't stay in front of him. Whereas Edwards likes to shoot the ball. So, and he's not very good at it yet. I'm encouraged by Anthony Edwards. Uh, he's fearless. I'm encouraged by his ability to make free throws, 80%, which is, uh, we know that translates, that, that projects three-point shooting better than actually how you shoot threes in college is how you shoot free throws. So that's just a, we don't know the reason for it and science doesn't know. We just know statistically that's accurate to say. Uh, and so that's encouraging if you're the Timberwolves, but the young man doesn't know how to play yet. He, he takes so many bad shots. He'll turn down a decent shot and take a, a worse one. So that's, that's not, a, that's not unusual for a young player. They don't really understand how to, uh, how to just make those decisions. And I'm reminded of Kevin Durant for the Sonics where, as a rookie, he just took every shot imaginable, terrible shots everywhere. And it's almost like you give a kid too much candy when he's young, and they don't necessarily want that candy all that much anymore. Durant, it took him three years, but by year four, Durant was a net positive impact player for the Thunder. In year three, he scored a ton of points, but the Thunder were better when he was on the bench. People don't remember that anymore, but it's true. If you look up his on-off numbers. And so it's going to be a while for Anthony Edwards, right? He's got to just learn 
how best to use his own talent. Uh, when to drive, when not to drive. You know, he can. He's a big, strong guy. He could probably slip in the post. When should he cut? What shots should he avoid altogether? What shot should he should he only take when he absolutely has to because of the clock? Uh, uh, that's a whole aspect of his game that can develop, which is understanding how best to play to his strength. Secondarily to that would be finding ways to improve his skill game, get better ball handling, get better shooting, create better weaponized moves. All of those things can improve as well. So when you start combining the two, which is the player development aspect of skill development, then the player development aspect of game development, and then you turn them into one new product, you'll be a much better player. That happens, who knows? You know, Andrew Wiggins took a long time. He's playing the best ball he's ever played. And what is it, he's six or seven years later? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, seven, seven years later. Yeah, it's a, it's a process, and that's just on offense. On defense, he's terrible. So, like most rookies, same thing. You got It's less about skill development on defense, although there is some skill development in terms of moving your feet and as a, as a mental approach. I was also not fouling is helpful. Uh, but knowing your opponent, knowing what they're running, knowing your individual guard, in other words, the person you're guarding, those are aspects of, of his game, too, that, that won't necessarily improve, but certainly can improve. He has the body. Remember, Dwayne Wade was, a, was an excellent defender, a great perimeter shot blocker. So Anthony Edwards has that kind of upside, too. It's just going to take a while. And it's a mess in Minnesota. You know, may change ownership. Uh, they've already changed coaches since he got there. So let's just, you know. I'm not sure he'll get it. I, I'm hoping he won't be the first guy not to make it, you know? Yeah, and, and and I know you mentioned to me previously, I know we we talked about LaMelo Ball on our last podcast, but that brings up another great, great question, too, related to everything we're talking about, player fit specifically to where they're drafted and the kind of coach other players and culture that they have around them. I actually am really glad that Lamelo was able to be drafted to Charlotte, regardless of how you may feel about the Gordon Hayward signing and some of the other veteran things that they've done. But Coach Borrego is an excellent coach. They were already establishing a great culture for their players. Really, back to last season, they were they were playing some really good basketball for decent stretches. And you figure, would Anthony Edwards be doing anything differently? Should he have been drafted into a different culture like a Charlotte? or a Golden State, or do you think that this is just where Anthony Edwards was going to be at in his rookie season, regardless of where he went, at least this early? So, like I've said, I think that um, the, uh, there's a, a small percentage of players that can be who they become no matter where they go. Mm-hmm. Russell Westbrook is a guy that I feel, Kobe Bryant is a guy that I feel would have been the same no matter what. But I think most players... Uh, are are somewhat dependent on strategies, systems, rosters, overall professional of the, of, of the franchise, the culture. I think I think Dwayne Wade was better served in Miami, and had he gone to let's say a, a, the Minnesota team, it doesn't mean he wouldn't have still been a Hall of Fame player. He Dwayne might have been that special. Edwards is a little bit different. Edwards doesn't have the same motor as Wade did at Marquette. So uh, the way James Borrega has held. I, uh, Lamella Ball is somewhat accountable. I say somewhat because it feels like it's, I think his dad complained when he wasn't starting and now he's starting and he's doing great. He's not helping the team win games. They're actually better when he's off the court. Again, that's normal for rookies. But but you can't argue with his overall offensive numbers and his defensive effort. He's not a very good defender yet, but at least he's trying. Um, and so I, I think Edwards needs uh, a quicker hook. I think 
coaches are better off coaching those guys. And with a new coach, you know, I don't know if Chris Finch feels like, and I know Chris, I don't know if he feels like he can really coach the hell out of the kid. Like I, I was at John Wall's first training camp in Washington with Flip Saunders. I was invited to come watch and I sat front row for first, you know, four or five days and uh, they did not coach him. Wasn't it, Flip was worried about his veterans anyway, but the assistant coaches were afraid of him. I, I thought they just didn't really coach him hard. And I've never forgotten that. And I don't think John Wall has, has ever reached his full potential. I was an enormous fan of his. I don't think he reached his full potential in part because the Wizards franchise was so bad and the coaching staff did a poor job. So I don't know if Minnesota is going to wake up and, and do what, what Borrega has done, I think, for the most part with LaMelo. Uh, they need to. Edwards needs a lot of coaching. Absolutely. Absolutely. And and like like I said, he certainly had at least a few bright moments this season. He probably had what could be the NBA's dunk of the year when he made that move. And I know, Coach, you don't necessarily read too much into just one play. You'd rather look at a full body of work. But in that play, that was an example of him making a better decision, not to just settle for the, the corner three, but instead attack within the space that he had, beat his one man, which in isolation play types this year, he's actually excelled. That is his bread and butter, and that was viewed as his bread and butter coming into the league. So some of that's at least starting to really translate when you get somebody one-on-one, whether it's going to the basket or being able to make a jump shot if the defender gives him enough space. But he made the right decision to attack on that play, and it's not necessarily, to me, the highlight dunk that made me smile, but it was the fact that he made that decision. Such a, a much better basketball decision. That's what really spoke to me on that play and another guy who makes really good basketball decisions at least offensively someone who can fit seamlessly within everything that's going on is Tyrese Halliburton now I didn't think that he was necessarily going to be this amazing star guard who could lead an offense all by himself score whenever they needed him to score get a bucket be that type of guard but in turn he just makes the right decisions whenever he needs to with the basketball in his hands. And you can use him in a variety of ways. Now, a lot of his offense is going to be predicated on if he can keep shooting from three as well as he's been shooting. He's over 43% from three and almost 49% on corner threes. That's absolutely remarkable. And that skill combined with the other things he could do on offense puts him in the 82nd percentile within the league in total offense. So Um, What are your thoughts about Halliburton and how he's been able to fit with the Kings? And do you think that having somebody like De'Aaron Fox next to him has definitely helped Halliburton come in and just be more of who he is and not have to have too much responsibility on his plate early on? I compare Halliburton, uh, I think I've told you, to me, he's the bizarro Ricky Rubio. He is, uh, he can't defend yet. Uh, Rubio I don't remember Rubio as a rookie defender anymore. I was, I liked Ricky a lot coming out of Spain. Um, and I think his coaching in Spain really hurt him offensively. He's never really figured out how to score. And it's always been a problem for him, but he really guards and he really passes. And I think Halliburton doesn't guard again, rookie, skinny, weak. I'm not worried about that. Maybe he'll learn to be a good defense player. Maybe he won't be, but the fact that he's a bad defense player now doesn't scare me at all. He's a very gifted offensive player. Yes, you're right about the shooting. It has to be a constant. He's got to be a good shooter um, because he's not super, you know, he's not good in ISO, but he's an excellent pick and roll player. He and LaMelo both are excellent pick and roll players. I think we saw that in, in tape, on tape before he got there. 
uh, really reads the game. I always say high school and college kids play the game. Pros read the game. Uh, Halliburton's been reading the game for a long time, I think. And uh, that's impressive to me. Uh, has, has all the kind of passes you need, using ball screens, refusing ball screens. He's poised and patient using them. Uh, I think that you made a good point when you say Fox makes it easier for Halliburton because he, he does, is he's really more the playmaker to go get buckets, whereas Halliburton kind of can play off that and then, and then just be weaponized enough as a ball screener, as a, as a, as a ball screen uh, ball handler, then read it and make the right play and score. If you need to score, you can't just throw it to him and expect good things to happen for him without that screen. Uh, and, um, but I don't think it's the best pairing for him long-term. So yeah, it's better to have Fox now where Halliburton kind of focused on, okay, how do I get, like my son was, when he was in sixth grade, we, we played with a very talented, uh, a guy who lived right by us. And they were, and I told my son, my son was a tiny little player in sixth grade. And this kid was in sixth grade, probably five ten, grew to be six, six shooting guard. Uh, and I told my son, when in doubt, just throw the ball to Christian. His name is Christian. Uh, he's a college player now too. Uh, and so that's exactly what I would tell Halliburton. When in doubt, get the ball to De'Aaron Fox. And go spot up, right? The question is, how do they pair going forward? And, and I'm curious to hear what you have to say. I don't love the pairing because Fox is a little guy. And so uh, Portland has managed to be successful with two little guys at one and two. They have a hulking, you know, center in Nurkic, and they've found, you know, they've gone and gotten some some po- from perimeter defenders like Covington. They had Mo Harkless a couple of years ago, and that was good. Uh, and they have Gary Trent now is a pretty athletic, long guy that might be a good defender one day. It's hard when your backcourt is just weak defensively. So I I just think there's a better place for him. And so I've had fun. I've not found a perfect place for him yet, but the Kings. You know, they're going to be bad for a while if they don't do something. And so to me, trading Halliburton for a, a, a plus-level player to a team that wants to kind of reset their own beginning wouldn't be a bad thing at all to do. Um, but for now, you want to continue to let Halliburton play well. You're only building his value anyway. And because uh, and, I don't think they'll trade Fox. No, they wouldn't move off Fox. And, and you make a point about Halliburton's defense um, and, and in multiple times in trying to record the podcast, you've actually given me a great analogy in terms of young players and their, their struggle in, in being able to approach the game from a defensive standpoint because of everything being a little fast and, and so much going on around them that they have to understand. Do you think that that's more of a concern regarding Halliburton's defense or is it the fact that he just needs to get better physically to be able to play better one-on-one defense? Cause in college he showed a lot of positive indicators as an off ball defender. And to me, he was one of the better off ball defenders in this draft class coming into the league because of his size and his length combined with the fact that he keeps it. He's one of those guys that you see, he keeps his head on a swivel. Like he's always, always, always looking at everything else going on around him. And that's what led him to have one of the better steal rates in college last year. That's what allowed him to, to be such a cerebral heads up defender. So do you think that maybe some of that's caught up to him and he can't read the game quite as fast at this level yet as he did in college and maybe go into that analogy a little bit? Or are you more concerned with the one-on-one physical stuff? All of the above. Yeah. So in in college strength has a lot to do with how successful you can be because it let you play more physically 
obviously that was never something he would be great at because he's just not strong. Um, but in the pros, it's you can't really you know you, they don't like you impeding anyone, so it's easy to get called for fouls. Uh, you're dealing with this is the biggest thing. You're dealing with not just far better players, but a much larger piece of land to defend. I watch a college game and everyone's playing gap control. And, and so you can guard your man. Sorry. You can help the guy with the ball while you guard your man and recover back typically pretty accurately, pretty, pretty effectively, I should say, because it's just a smaller piece of turf. Everyone's playing on in the NBA. It's such a much bigger piece of property because guys are able to make shots from so far out. And then you've also got so many players that can be effective right at the rim. And and so when you say head in a swivel, I mean, yeah, you got a half a yeah millisecond to make a decision. <laughs> Hubie Brown teaches he set screens for only one reason to make defenders think, and I've been really stressing that for a long time, for twenty years now. You set screens for one reason, make defenders think, and there's a lot of thinking going on out there. There's a lot of screens happening, and uh, almost everything you choose can end up blowing up in your face if you choose poorly or slowly. And so there's just a lot happening, not to mention the fact that not only has he never seen a lot of these particular actions in the space that they're being used in, in the NBA, he's never played against these players. And so there, there, there's an adjustment period. He may not make the adjustment well enough. I mean, there's players that have been bad defenders for a long time. There's players that are bad defenders because they're relaxing on defense. James Harden, for example, could be a better defender. When he is a better defender when he wants to be. And there's players that just never really get it. Uh, Halliburton seems like a mindful kind of player, but as he gains strength and experience, is going to be even passable, right? I mean, if Curry is an average defender, Steph Curry, there's no reason why Halliburton can't be. He just isn't there now. So I think it's he's got to get better at all of it, and and also maybe his coach is no good. It's, it, that's not encouraging. Luke Walton's done in Sacramento, so very well, it very well may be the case that when there's a coaching change there see a better production from him defensively but right now it's bad and, and i think that that that's that's really the linchpin right the you you hit the nail on the head with these smaller backcourts and that's really what's going to hold it together if halliburton can be a lot more effective not just helping to guard guys at the one or the two spot but even being able to switch and and, and not get lost when he's guarding a bigger wing or get thrown around from a strength perspective or, or when he gets switched on the bigger guys because yeah that's been a weakness to his game so far in the league and if that doesn't get better then then i agree that maybe he has to get moved or, or some kind of move has to happen for either of those guys to be paired with somebody else who can take more of the brunt of that especially on the defensive end. So, yeah, I, I think that's absolutely a fair point. And while I'm encouraged by what Halliburton's been able to do at this point in the season so early in his career, that, yeah, there are some things that may potentially just be out of his control in terms of a fit perspective with Fox, and maybe there does have to be a move that happens. That's a very, very interesting thing to, to monitor and a point that I haven't quite heard from some of the other bigger media guys when they talk about some of these rookies but at the same time you're not just a media guy coach you 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 live and breathe basketball so trust me that that's a that's a very very well taken point that i hadn't really thought of but something you're not really going to hear every day with some of these guys that are just gushing about the rookies so definitely something to keep an eye on um one guy that i know that you do like and i think you mentioned previously that if 
you would have had like like a number one spot or you were making a board that he probably would have been number one on it was James Wiseman, somebody that certainly impressed me coming out of college and certainly ha has been a jewel in your eye a little bit. But what really encouraged me about Wiseman and his potential transition to the NBA was actually a lot of stuff that I saw from him in, in high school, being able to handle the ball, score out of isolation sets, not do things other than just your 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 classic post up or you're just like spot him in a corner and just shoot a three. Like he did some creative things with the ball going back to high school. And you've seen a little bit of that in the NBA. Granted, it's not in a large sample size, but in smaller sample size, he's been able to rip a rebound right away, break down the court because he's a gazelle at seven feet, seven one, wherever you want to categorize him height wise. And at that size, if you're able to handle the ball enough and break away that fast in transition, that's going to be a problem for any defense trying to set up and stop you. And that's certainly been a, big, a bigger part of his game than I thought that I was going to see early on in his career. And the shooting, being able to, to hit some shots, both set in the corner from three, do a little bit of stuff off the dribble, that's also been encouraging to me from an offense perspective. Um, and you're more than welcome to give your thoughts on his offense, Coach. But I think from you and I talking a little bit, you're really encouraged about his defense. And, and this is probably the one rookie off of our list today that you would really like to talk about defensively. Oh, no, there's, there's another. Uh, <laughs> Devin, Devin Vassell is a, the best defender in the league right now for rookies. Um, so, so let's be clear about Weissman. So first of all, I would have definitely taken him number one. Not necessarily because I thought he had the best upside, although he might. I mean, it's, it's you know, you're splitting hairs with some of these guys. I thought, I thought managing the risk of his downside versus the reward of his upside gave you the, him the highest score. So LaMelo was a guy, Anthony Edwards is a guy that to me have, had a pretty significantly low floor that they don't figure out how to win games. Not stuff stat sheets and get highlights, win games. I thought that Wiseman, because of the nature of his position, his demeanor, the, the culture around him, um, I mean, the guy speaks fluent Mandarin. Uh, I spoke to his college coaches, and they just they loved his work ethic and his commitment to being the best player in the game. Um, that's why I would have taken number one, is I just thought no matter what, you're going to get a franchise center who may or may not also be an MVP candidate. But who doesn't? I, I'm a big believer in franchise centers. But going back to what you were saying, you can dribble the ball. And normally when you have a big that can handle it the way he can, they tend to be better at guarding it in space. I mean, guarding ball handling in space, which means they're switchable, right? Mm -hmm. So you can drop him in coverage at the rim. You can play him out in space defensively. Uh, you can rim run him in transition. You can rim run him in pick and roll. And if he doesn't do anything else but that, he can be a valuable starter on a championship level team. And, uh, and there's no downside in terms of maintenance of the player. So that's why I liked him at number one. So he right now rates as a, a plus defender and has no idea what he's doing. No idea. He's lost, just lost. Uh, plays like a puppy, like most rookies. But he's seven whatever, and he's got a wingspan of seven whatever. And super fast, super nimble, athletic. He's got some strength to him. He's added a lot of strength. One thing a lot of these players have done is they got stronger during the break. They looked as opposed to what normally happens, which is pre-draft for a couple of months, you know, March, April, May. All of a sudden they're 
are working out for teams in May, June. They get drafted. Now summer leagues July. Normally relax a little bit in August because they've been going so hard. Then boom, September, they're in camp. So their bodies aren't really much different than what we see when they were in college. It's not the same now. These guys had a long time to really work on their bodies. So, um, and Weissman, of course, uh, has had time because he didn't really play in Memphis. So he's going to be a terrific elite defender based on what we see now when he starts figuring stuff out. Uh, and, and now you're talking about offense. So uh, I think he's going to be a good shooter. I think he's going to be able to shoot threes. He's showing that now a little bit. Doesn't do it a lot now, but I think he's going to be able to. I think he's going to be able to get his own shot in time as a face-up player. So if you run him off the line, one dribble, two dribble, pull-up jumper, a shot fake attack, pull-up jumper, floater even. Uh, he's got touch around the rim. Uh, dunks everything inside, which is great. His hands are very good. Maybe not elite, but very good. Can't score in the post at all. No clue what he's doing there. Maybe he'll learn that. Maybe he won't. It's not, nothing's guaranteed. But, but you're encouraged that he's going to be able to at least get, I know one thing, if you overplay him in the post, he'll spin a dunk on you. So, mm -hmm. so most good defenders don't do that. They want to make him just shoot the jumper and he will be happy to shoot it and doesn't make very many, you know, just over maybe three and 10. So, but he's, he's a kid. He played three games in college. Um, you know, LaMelo played professional basketball, a little bit anyway. Some of these guys had a full college season. This guy had nothing. And, and yet, he's been a plus defender and a bad offensive player, but showing signs of some things. I think that the, he's very lucky to where he went. And he's going to end up being a dominating player in the NBA for a long time. Definitely lucky in the long term. I will say, though, in, in the short term, Coach, and I'd like your perspective on this, is that Golden State is one of those teams that has been operated for, for quite a number of years now, at least during the dynasty run, by guys who are very smart and they just know how to play the game off of a lot of different read and react stuff. Like their, their playbook, you probably know this better than I do, their, their playbook is not as thick as some of the other playbooks on some of these other teams in the league, and that's, that's a Steve Kerr thing, but he also knows – that he has the type of players like Steph Curry, Draymond Green, Clay Thompson that are instinctual, and they just know how to play the game at a high level with other guys, and they know how to make something out of nothing. Um, now, you'd think, or at least I would think, and maybe I'm wrong, that if I'm a rookie coming into that kind of a situation, that could be a little overwhelming for me on the offensive end, having to put so much together and, and kind of just like know where to be, like I, I communicating with one of the other star players on the court and having that kind of pressure, like, Hey, you're supposed to be over there. Well, I, I, I'm sorry. Like I didn't get that. You know what I mean? It's not just like they're calling a play and yeah, they've went over it so many different times in practice and he just knows where he needs to be. So maybe your perspective on that, do you think it could be detrimental to Wiseman and at least in the short term with the kind of system he's going into, or is that an encouraging thing because he's being tasked with, trying to learn so much offensively already, it's only going to help him in that sense moving forward. It's a good question. I think that you have to give these guys a soft landing zone if you expect them to jump out of an airplane. And, and so I, my, my, my guess is, and, I, and I've coached a player as a pro who is an assistant coach for the Warriors. He played at Florida State. He's from my area, from Clearwater High School, um, who I helped get to Florida State. And coached him uh, in the off season when he played overseas and he, he's an amazing young man. And I think that uh, warriors have a very good franchise, right? Not just great players. Mm -hmm. uh, and so I think they've given him a safe landing zone. I think that they're not trashing him when he fails, which is all the time, right? They're 
encourage. They know long-term, I say long-term, medium-term, I should say, two years, three years, four years out. But as 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 the best players age out of their peak, I think Curry's still there. Clay, we don't know about. Draymond is out of his peak. Uh, Weissman will enter into his peak and, and maybe have a peak for a long time, like some bigs do. And so I think they're in, they 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 get it. They're not jerks to him, right? Um, so I think it's a positive for him. I do think that he's one of those guys that put him in the wrong place and just play him a ton of minutes and don't coach him but play him. He builds a lot of bad habits and and. Um, it took Carl Towns a long time to play a really good defense. And I'm not sure he's ever been a really good defender. Um, and I, I, it's weird because he had Thibodeau, but it didn't work out. Uh, so I think Weissman's in a very good place. And I think that next year you're going to see a big leap from him when, you, when he's got at least some of an offseason. They don't make the playoffs this year. They'll have a, a, you know, a number of months where your workouts are informed by how you, what you did in your games. So he should have a very good offseason. Uh, right now, the games come fast and furious and don't practice. It's very unfair for these rookies. I won't be judging any of them harshly because they just don't have practice time because they're playing so much. And you've got to rest your body. So all these guys that play a lot are in danger of, of getting hurt if they go too hard in the, in the practice days. So they don't. Um, this offseason will be good for all these guys that play a lot of minutes because they'll, they'll be able to put in the lessons that they're learning now on the court into the practice court and get better at it. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I personally, that that's a great point that, that you just made. And, and I personally stay away from being overly critical on young players, particularly rookies, when they come into the league, because it is such a drastic leap to go to the best professional league in the world. People forget how how hard it is to, to make that kind of a jump or like be a first round draft pick. Like you, you hear some of these, some of these talking heads or some people on social media go back and forth about, oh, is he a top five pick or oh, is he a top ten pick? It's an honor, that I, I would think, to be considered in anybody's like top thirty or top sixty, because you still have to factor in how many college basketball players there are, plus global prospects that could potentially get into the league. Like that is a really, really hard group to make any year. So yeah, I, I try, I try and evaluate prospects and look to see what are maybe one or two things that they can excel at and do really well and that can translate right away to get them into the league into a rotation into a lineup where at that point they can start expanding and and, and progressing their game forward and I wanted to talk with you about two Florida State guys who are in this draft class because I know that with your son being a part of the program you've had a close eye on the program over the last few years and Patrick Williams and Devin Vassell we already mentioned Vassell's name but Patrick Williams echoes that point to me specifically because while he is an incredibly raw prospect didn't get a lot of playing time at florida state was a guy who came off the bench at the same time i saw immediately because of how good of an athlete he is and how well he cuts and moves along the baseline like you can get him involved in some easy actions like that and the bulls have already started to figure some of that out where you can get him getting buckets in easier ways, let him see the ball go through the basket. And that's at least one area on offense where you know he's going to be effective. Then you can start expanding other parts of his game. And they've done that. He, he's been spotting up for corner threes and, and hit them at a pretty decent rate for a rookie. He's been able to get into those one, two dribble pull-ups and knock down an easy mid-range shot when he has space. So that to me was like, yeah, I might not have been 
as high on Patrick Williams as I might have been, but at the same time, I wasn't overly critical on him, and I saw ways that he could come in and contribute in the league right away. So you, you're you're the guy who's had a closer eye on the Florida State program over the last few years than, than I think that I have. So why don't you, why don't we start with Pat Williams, and then we'll get to the Devin Vassell. Why don't you give me your thoughts on on Pat Williams? Yeah, so Pat didn't start a single game at Florida State. He played behind, a, in my opinion, a lottery pick talent named Raekwon Gray. He's not going to go lottery. He probably wouldn't go first round. I think teams t- typically do a great job of evaluating players like Raekwon Gray. But Pat Williams, who drafted number four this year, didn't start a single game at Florida State because of Raekwon Gray, um, who's 6'8", 260, and is a guard. Uh, but Pat is, he was sixth man of the year in the ACC. It wasn't like he wasn't a good player and they were number four in the country. And he was a big part of that. So, um, he's, I mean, tell me if I'm wrong. Isn't he like at 39% from three? Yeah. So overall, overall 39%. Yeah. So he's got a beautiful looking shot too. Uh, he looks like Carl Malone, but, but shoots, well, Carl could really shoot the mid range. Uh, this guy shoots the three. And uh, I've been taken with some of his left-hand finishes in traffic, really impressive for a righty as a, as a 19 year old. He was the youngest kid in the draft, I think, or one of the youngest. Yep. Um, yeah, definitely doesn't know how to play. You know, Florida State, in theory, does a great job teaching defense like a lot of colleges do. But uh, Pat played one year and didn't start. So he's got a waste. He's got a lot to learn. And power forwards in the NBA are way different than power forwards in the ACC. <laughs> <laughs> so um that's a that's a process thing for him but um i i, I think he's gonna be he was in my top five both he and Vassell both were my top five actually and i'll get to Devin in a minute um because i think pat can be what our game is now in the nba which is trying to play basketball players right one of the things that's good about Lamelo and weissman to a lesser degree although i think it's going to be a stronger thing for him later is uh you can play him anywhere. Like Lamelo's six foot seven and big and strong and not a great athlete. Maybe, maybe a great athlete, not an elite athlete. Maybe just a very good athlete, not you know, great. Uh, Pat Williams is a basketball player, right? Handles it, shoots it, defends multiple places, gets involved in transition, has a great demeanor about him. Uh, really, just a killer. I, I'm. Uh, I, I I had him, I think, fifth on my little rating system that I did. Um, and maybe I was, maybe I'm, maybe it should have been higher. I don't know, but, uh, he's, he's going to be a very, very good player, all-star potential. Um, doesn't have a game like, uh, Chris Middleton, but can, uh, can play that role in time because he's skilled, but he's a ways away from that for now. Uh, but if he's just a defensor, defender, three-point shooter, transition killer, uh, that alone makes you a starter with that body and size and length and power. So uh, from what I understand, I don't know the young man. He l- was gone before my son got there. He's supposed to be an amazing guy. I know my son said they, all of his teammates watch the Bulls play whenever they can because they want to see Pat. Uh, they, you know, they watch all their former teammates, and there's a lot of them in the NBA now. Uh, so I've heard nothing but amazing things about him. And uh, it's going to be a bit. I think Billy Donovan, who I've known since he was a great assistant coach at Kentucky, like I said, I think they've got a good plan there in Zach Levine. Is, is having having an all-star career year. Um, I'm not sure where that franchise is going, though, because he is not – Zach's not the age that their other young players are. So they're still years away, I think, from being very good, unless they do a deal or two, which could be happen. 
They could trade Pat Williams tomorrow and get mm-hmm. a better player to help them right now, uh, just like the Kings could do with Halliburton, right? Um, that's what you do. I mean, the Celtics did that with Al Jefferson. They got themselves, you know, the Garnett, Ray, uh, Ray Allen, Paul Pierce trio. So you develop your rookies, you get them to be as good as they can be as fast as they can. And if you think you can help your team better right away and that's what you want to do, well, then you make a trade. If they don't, then you build for the future. But, but the key is to get them better. And I think, I think Pat is the guy that we can bank on to get better because he just has nothing but positive indicators around him. What are some of the things that you might have him and watch or maybe who, who's like a player that you would like to, to have him study from, from a wing perspective? Because that, that to me, at least offensively, is really where you unlock his potential and where that's what would really separate him from being like a later lottery grade to maybe somebody who ends up being worthy of that very high selection. If you're evaluating him as a 4-3 you're probably not seeing as high of an outcome for him as if he is like a full-time three, which I think is why the Bulls drafted him because they want him to play that three spot. Like, I don't think coming into that draft, you're just looking to immediately break up that team. I think they definitely wanted to see a lineup of Kobe White, Zach Levine, Pat Williams at that three spot. And then you have Marketing and Carter kind of work itself out. So what are some of the things that you would maybe look at for him to get better in or maybe watch and study so that he can play that three spot full-time? So I'll make this easy on you as you evaluate players going forward, okay? Mm-hmm. Uh, position doesn't really matter except for one and five, and really just five now. Ones can be two, threes, fours, as we see, right? Jokic is the one exception as a five. He's a one. He's a one, five, five, one. Um, and probably the MVP of the league right now here, Embiid. Um, it's whether or not they can be primary ball handlers, shot creators. That's it. That's, what, that's okay. what all that matters. Uh, if you can be Duncan Robinson, there's only one of those guys. But if you can be that or J.J. Redick, whatever, and you can really impact a game dramatically by by using screens off the ball and making threes, then that's great. Um, and Pat certainly can do that on the catch. I'm not sure he can do it on the move. Uh, but it's all you know, Kevin Durant, Kawhi Leonard, Paul George, right? LeBron James. These guys are primary ball handling guards, mm-hmm. right? Who just in, in big bodies. I don't know if Pat can get there or not. I think it's possible. He he's got the lower center of gravity. He's got the powerful frame. He's got the the, the athletic fiber that I think is required to be that kind of guy. I don't know if he'll get it, but I, that's what I would have him would have him study Giannis and Kawhi and those guys. Um, he's got he's got a pace to his game like Kawhi. He's not in a rush too much. He just bullies you. And so I might have him watch Kawhi more than anyone else. He's bigger than Kawhi. He's more athletic than Kawhi. You know, Kawhi tested as the worst athlete in the Chicago pre-draft. He wasn't an athlete. He really wasn't a shooter. I think he never shot better than 29% at San Diego State in his first two years. He wasn't a good three-point shooter, no. That, that came he wasn't good at anything. He wasn't good at anything. He was a good basketball player, but he wasn't good at anything skill-wise. Pat is similar, right? Pat knows how to play. Offensively, anyway, he, he seems to have a good pace about him. He's had a lot of skill to his game besides shooting, which he's clearly done. 39%, small sample size, but still, it's better than 29%. You're two months in with a lot of games, 30 games, or whatever they're in. So um, he's got to just understand how to handle, how to be a primary ball handler, ball screens, uh, how to control an offense, uh, lead the break in traffic. Uh, and then the second part of that would be if you can get to wherever you want to go with the ball or if you can get to wherever the defense is sending you and not lose the ball, 
well, then how can you still score? Can you make those pull-up jumpers? When we get to Devin Vassell, that's what I'll talk about. Some guys just have the ability to make shots that are tough shots. And I don't know if Pat will have that or not, but the best players in the world have it. That's why I'm so high on Devin, is I think he's going to be able to make those shots better than anyone in this class probably. Um, he's Reggie Miller, the more of a defensive focus in, in this. There's no one else in the draft like Devin Vassell, in my opinion. Yeah, go right into him because that's where we were. That's exactly where we we're going to go next. So, yeah, that's what I figured. So, I just I can't stop watching the kid play. Uh, <laughs> he's the highest rated defensive player amongst all rookies. Desmond Bain uh, ranks very well. Gotta he's love Desmond. I do too. He's a very different player than Vassell. He's got a lower ceiling um, because he's just not as long or as tall. Mm-hmm. Uh, Devin Vassell can get a shot off against anyone. Like LaMelo can. He can't necessarily make them. Right? He can make his threes. I think Vassell's 39% from three as well. Encouraging. And doesn't, doesn't, he's not asked to do a lot. I think the Spurs have done a good job with him, like the, like the Charlotte's done, although they've given LaMelo a lot more to do. Um, Devin can get that mid-range jumper off against anybody. He can really shoot and he can really guard. And um, knows how to play off the ball. I can see the Spurs using him in multiple screening actions going forward. As they as they kind of orient their team to whatever the roster is going to look like when DeRozan's gone and Aldridge is gone, what they do with Derek White or whatever, um, I understand from behind the scenes that Vassell has asked pop questions that no rookie has ever asked, and that's a I mean that in a silly way. I mean that in a good way. Like he's got the intellect. I, I have witnessed both Pat and Devin. I, I've shaken their hands once, but I. I watched them practice two days when my son took his visit there. And my wife and I went with my son to watch. And what struck me about Devin Vassell is the joy that he plays the game with. Uh, Just always hugging and smiling. And I love that. I just love that. Super competitive on the court. So much fun to be around and not as a jokester. I'm super high on Scotty Barnes from Florida State is because so much joy emanating from his game. Um, you know, this, this, this league is so hard. You can find players that play with such joy. It's fun to play with those guys. Steph Curry is one of those guys. And um, I think that uh, Vassell needs to get much better ball handling, needs to be able to finish more plays. He's getting the shots off now. A lot of guys can't even get the shots. He can get the shots. Like Anthony Edwards. Uh, the difference is Anthony can't shoot from anywhere. At least Devin can shoot the three. Devin can get those shots. And so as he improves his skill game and his finishing game, like I said, I think he's going to be a Reggie Miller type. And I think the Spurs will figure out how to use that, whereas a lot of teams may may not have been able to do that. The, the interesting thing with Devin Vassell, and, and it sparked a big social media controversy during the pre-draft process, was that workout video came out. And everybody was so concerned about his shot mechanics from that workout video. No, I personally wasn't concerned because if, if anyone who's been watching Vassell for a while, you already know that he kind of cocks the ball back a little high. It's um, a good thing. Yes. And, and, it's, a, and good it's a good thing, but everyone thought that can't he was like, shot. <laughs> you yeah. can't get to a shot. Like Larry Bird did the same thing. You wouldn't teach someone to shoot that way. If they can do it and shooting to me is like fingerprints. Everyone kind of has a style that fits them best. The whole, the whole goal, in my opinion, as I, and I've, to say I've taught more shooting than most people on planet Earth because I've been, what I've been doing for so long as a, as a shooting coach in a sense. It's almost like I try to find 
your best shot as opposed to like, I've never used the term, get your elbow underneath you. I, I don't, I've had players that shoot much better when their elbows out fine. I, I try to, you know, they say a, a sculptor will take a, a, you know, the, the, the bronze or the clay, and it'll make it into what it's supposed to be. Right. That's what shooting sh is for me. So Devin shoots it the way he shoots it. And I think in that video, by the way, he was messing around. It's not how he shoots it in games. Um, you can't get to his mid-range because he brings it from behind his head. It's genius. And um, he doesn't make enough of him right now in mid-range. He does <laughs> from three. But that's just going to come. The game is so fast for these guys. And uh, I believe I'm right in saying he had the second best offensive, like, box score plus minus in the history of the ACC behind Zion Williamson. So, hello. Like, <laughs> You're a shooting guard that has a lot more skill to add and already know how to be that effective, going to work its way in the NBA just fine. He's different than Zion, of course, but it's way easier to do what Zion did with that body and frame and length and athleticism. It is for Devin to have the second best numbers of all time uh, uh, with a guy that isn't the greatest ball handler, whatever, greatest athlete. He's a good athlete. He's long. He's not super long. He's tall. He's not super tall. Something else going on there. I, I was told from NBA people that the Spurs would have taken him almost wherever they were. And uh, I believe it. I think he's a, in a perfect fit. And remember, they were saying amazing things about Kawhi, who was drafted 15th. And we know what they did in just a few years with him. So just this for some time. I think this kid's going to be an incredible player. I mean, I would assume at this point that he's going to be a mainstay for them moving forward, despite that perimeter, guard, wing, however you want to classify a lot of those players, that logjam that they kind of have in San Antonio. How do you, how do you see that logjam playing out? Because I, I, I've been a big Lonnie Walker fan for, for quite a long time since he was coming out of high school. I, I still think that he's a special talent and has a place in this league. But at some point, the, the, you figured DeJounte Murray is probably their point guard of the future because he's that much of a menace defensively combined with all, all the improvements he's made to his offensive game, specifically over the last few years. You have Vassell as a, a ball hawk wing uh, the defender off the ball. And so where, where do some of these other guys kind of come in? Kelvin Johnson has had a, a great year so far and then obviously whatever's going to happen with DeMar DeRozan maybe he's probably not going to be on the Spurs but how do you see that log jam kind of playing out it's hard for me to I, I I didn't really have an opinion on Lonnie Walker it's hard for me to really trust him as a long-term Spurs because he's so terrible defensively still mm -hmm. uh he, he literally ranking as one of the worst defensive players in the league he's 22 now he's been there a while he's been injured and all of that but we had the break last year but still you you want more from him defensively so I think ultimately Devin kind of Devin's going to be in a spot. We know DeJounte can really guard. I think there'll be some moves, uh, DeRozan included. Um, the Spurs that compete for a championship, if that ever happens in two or three years, four years, five years, only a couple of guys that you see now are going to be on that team. So they're a team in transition. Not sure really what happens, but a big deal uh, wouldn't surprise me at all. Now or, you know, summertime. And then you, you, you mentioned Zion's name. Uh, the fact that his name could come up on any podcast, I have to get your thoughts uh, on Zion. To me, when when he was coming out to to go into the league, like the, before he even got to Duke, he was the guy out of that him, R.J. Barrett, Cam Reddish trio that everyone wanted to talk about because they everyone thought they would be picks one, two, three in the draft. 
but Zion was always the guy that stood out to me, not because of necessarily what he brought to the table physically, but he's another guy that if you went back and, and you, you did your homework on him and you watched all of his grassroots stuff, his AAU stuff, his high school stuff, he was, he grew up being a point guard because he wasn't always as big as he was. He had like a tremendous growth spurt in, in high school and, and he grew up playing as a point guard and that in turn is lending itself to all of the different ball skills you're seeing him just kind of encapsulate and, and in turn push forward with the Pelicans now, right? Like that's all coming out. And that's why I was so high on was because of those other things, not just because of the type of athlete and the physical force that he was, but what, what, what are your thoughts on, on Zion? Cause I know you got into a little bit of that on your bring it in podcast from earlier in the week. Yeah. So and I, I think it was December of his freshman year. I'd watched him play a couple of games and watched some synergy on him. And I told my partner, Henry Abbott, who always is talking to executives, that I think that he's going to average 20 points plus a game as a rookie. And he told me that he spoke to some executives about that. And I think some are skeptical and some weren't. Um, but uh, I'm not even sure what he averaged last year, but it was definitely more than 20. Yeah. Um, he is what I just was describing for Pat Williams. He's a primary ball handler. Right? You can post him. You can hit him on cuts. You can screen and shape, you can screen and roll, you can get him involved in the transition game, but you also give the ball to him in space and let him go play. He's an extraordinary athlete with the ball in his hands. And he's so quick with the ball, and he's not nearly as skilled as he needs to be, but I'll tell you what, I watched him play the Jazz recently, and twice on the right side of the floor, the Jazz forced him to drive right-handed into Rudy Gobert, and he scored like Gobert was a paper towel. Oh, I was upset. I was upset Rudy didn't really compete with it. I wanted to see how Zion would handle a really competitive Rudy, but Rudy wanted no part of him for whatever reason. He just wanted no part of him, so he just easily scored. Then if you overplay him right a little bit on the dribble to try to cut him off, he goes back left where, he's, where he wants to go anyway, and he's just a brilliant scorer. He's just a high, high-level scorer. The rest of this game you know, is a challenge, right? He... Last I looked, he was leading the NBA in three-point shots contested, not necessarily in what and what they were doing, making or missing. Mm -hmm. he, he so that's you know probably a good effort, not not definitely a good effort. It might just be that he was um, not helping so much off it. Always make sure he got to his man. His defensive metrics are terrible, 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 terrible. And that's got to change. Offensively, he's one of the most gifted players in the history of the game. And, and going to get much, much better in time. Adds a shot, a, three, a, a reliable three-point shot. Um, he's, already, he's already got very good ball handling skills. They'll get better. Reading the game will get better. Mid-range game in the paint, 12 feet, 10 feet. So to me, that's what mid-range is, is 8 to 15 feet. Um, that's going to get better. He's got to get better defensively. Um, and they've got a defensive minded coach. The team is terrible defensively right now. I want to say that they're like um, – 29th, 28th in defense. Uh, the Pelicans are just a, a bad defensive team. And um, that is, you know, Zion is going to be a big part of their future. So until he starts playing better defense, I think they're 28th, I just looked it up. So until he starts playing better defense, they're going to struggle. That's a problem because they want to be a playoff team uh, each year with him. But yeah, I mean, if he was a stock, you would you would go all in for sure. I mean, what, what, what's the big, I, I know we're a little off topic, but like what, what's, what's the biggest thing defensively that the Pelicans are, are missing as a whole? Cause you would have thought if they added Steven Adams, 
to, to patrol the, the paint. And then you also add another good perimeter defender in Eric Bledsoe that that team would kind of just like figure itself out a little bit defensively. Is it really because of Zion's not really knowing how to play defense yet? Because I, I never really thought he knew how to play great defense, even going back to Duke. Everyone pointed out that, and I even point out that he could be a really good defensive playmaker, just being that quick to be able to go for steals or, or make the block whenever he had to. But I didn't think he really understood how to play good defense. Is it really just him being that negative for that team or, or what, what else do you see from them defensively? Well, no, he's not the only one playing terrible defense. They almost all are. Um, early in the season when I was studying them, they, they were defending ball screens. This is going to get kind of nerdy. Defending <laughs> ball screens differently than what almost everyone in the league does. Uh, they, um, it's hard to explain, but they, they just weren't forcing ball handlers into screens a certain way. They were almost playing their, defend, their offensive guys straight up on the ball. And, and not asking the defensive big to call it um, because they felt like the guards were always so worried where a screen was coming from that they would end up getting distracted and then the offensive player had an advantage. And I don't know if they're still doing that. I just know whatever they're doing isn't working. <laughs> a longtime client of mine, Corey Brewer, is an assistant coach there. I've not asked him uh, what's going on because I feel like I have to – I don't want teams to ever not, you know, I'm old enough now where players that I coach are now trying to get to be coaches and executives. And I want their teams to know that I have integrity and that they have integrity. And then I'm looking, I'm not looking to get secrets from anyone because I'm in the media. So I've not said one word to Corey about what's going on other than I've texted him a couple of times. How are you doing? And you know, great. Not so great. Depending on how the night went before. I, I need to watch on tape and I just haven't done it to see if they're still defending the way they were. But the system that they're using has not been working. They're atrocious on defense. And, uh, and sometimes it's a system that helps the players play better. Sometimes the players help the system play better. But always it's a combination. So they're not doing well individually. So collectively, of course, it's a struggle. And until that changes, and it's ironic because Stan is the defensive-minded guy. But nonetheless, until that changes, and they'll probably change AJ Redick. Maybe, you know, that's a piece that makes more sense to them right now. They've got nothing on Nicola Melli, and they were hoping to get a lot from him, and he's, he's one of the worst offense players in the league. He's a former EuroLeague Player of the Year. It's not Nicola Melli. It's the Pelicans just have not – they've not built a system that's helped that young man. So maybe he'll get traded uh, to, to a team that values him better and would use him better. But uh, whatever they've been doing, they've got to try again because it's not working defensively at all. <laughs> Last point, and then I'll get you out on this, Coach, since we are a draft, draft podcast. You brought up Scotty Barnes. I've, I've been trying to evaluate players and learn more about studying young players going into the draft since my senior year in high school, 20, 2011, 2012. And Scotty Barnes is the most unique player that I've ever tried to, to watch and evaluate because of his perimeter-oriented skill set at his size. And you'd think that Florida State might have him doing a little bit more out of the post than he generally does. I think he could actually be a, a pretty decent post player because he can pass out of those double teams like nobody's business. But he still seems to be this per perimeter-oriented guard, and they play him when he's in the game like a point guard, having him bring the ball up the floor and initiate everything with the offense. 
what 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 are your thoughts on on, on Scotty Barnes as you've been able to watch him this season? Kind of give me a little bit of education about him because to me he's an enigma. Like I I haven't studied him perfectly closely yet, but at the same time I don't know what to make of him from what I've seen. Yesterday was a little bit a little bit instructive. They they just had one of the worst halves you could have. They're trying to clinch the ACC and they just laid an egg in the first half against Notre Dame on the road on their senior night. And in the second half, Scotty just said. You know, basically, screw it. I'm going to go score and play. And I, I don't know what his final numbers were, but he, he was amazing in the second half. Um, I think he's I think he's the closest thing to Magic Johnson I've ever seen. And the difference is Magic is always a point guard. Scotty never has been till this year. Um, and so I don't know what that means. I don't. I don't. You know, he can't be Magic Johnson with one year of experience playing point guard. You can't do it. What I what I mean, I remember Magic was my favorite player of all time. So I was 14 when he beat Larry Bird. I was rooting for Larry Bird in that game, by the way, uh, the 79 NCAA championship game. Um, but uh, he went to the Lakers, and that was my team. Even though I grew up in Florida, I love the Lakers because of Jerry West. Sure, he was my he was my first favorite player. So um, Magic became my favorite player. I idolized him in a way I idolized nobody else, and. Um, Magic had a way of scoring every game, but he, but he wasn't a scorer. He couldn't shoot. Magic couldn't. Scotty really can't shoot. He just found ways to score and transition in the drives and half court. He he played with so much joy. He could really dribble and pass. Um, and you know, Magic was six eight, six nine. Scotty's taller, longer, and a way better athlete than Magic ever was. And scores the same way. He just. Just goes gets buckets. He'll make a hook. He'll make a floater. He'll make a little pull up. He got a post move. He, he just finds ways to score. He does not in, assert himself as a scorer like I think he needs to for his team. Um, I just don't think he's ready for that yet. I think playing with Cade Cunningham last year probably hurt him that way because he just can go play basketball and let Cade score. Um, and it's hurt Florida State this year because he could really score twenty a game if he applied himself that way. So. I almost never think a player should go back to school if they can be a lottery pick. After I think be a first round pick, I've argued with my friends in college for years, my college coaching friends, that players should go pro if they could go first round anywhere, or if they just hate school. Like I'm not a believer that you go back to school to improve your draft status because it's just no guarantee you will. He's the one guy, and I'm not saying this because I want Florida State to be great. <laughs> trust me, sure. I don't think he's. I don't think there's any chance he's going back. I've never, I've never talked to the kid once. I've never met him. I've asked my son anything about it. I respect their privacy. So um, I think he he needs experience playing point. There's no other way to say it. That's that, if that's what he wants to do. Let me let me rephrase all of this. If he wants to be a point guard in the NBA, I just don't trust the NBA teams to let him do it because he's nowhere close to being ready to be an NBA point guard. And uh, he'll get that experience if he went back to school. Although they recruited a bunch of players, I'm sure, assuming he isn't coming back. So let's assume he's going right to the pros. He'll be a primary ball handling wing. And over time, he's going to be an, an amazing player. He can really guard. He really loves to guard. I, I was told he was a combination of Magic Johnson and Scottie Pippen. Uh, and I did not see it at first. But I see it now. He's not either player. Don't get me wrong. He's not the athlete Scottie Pippen is. He's a, he's a great athlete. He's not the athlete Pippen was anyway. He's not the player Magic Johnson is. And may never get, obviously, get there. Uh, but but you can see why he's like both of those guys. If he's your best overall offensive player, I don't know that you're a very good team. 
Um, he's got to get so much better as a scorer for that to be the case. But if you've got good offensive players on your team and he's your connector, he's Draymond Green that way. He can really guard. He can really, and he's so much fun to play with watching. He just has so much joy when he plays for everybody. He's totally unselfish. I've not studied these other players. I'm sure there's a bunch of guys that are great, but like there's zero chance in my mind, this guy isn't a great all-star level player in the NBA for a long time. And uh, if there's other guys that project higher than that with no floor, because I don't see a floor for him, then he shouldn't go number one or two or three. If there isn't, if there's a bunch of guys that have downsides, like I've heard Cunningham's amazing. I've not watched him play one second yet. So if that's the case, then I get why he'd be go ahead of Scotty and some other guys too. But I think Barnes is going to be an unbelievable two-way player for a decade plus in the NBA. See, that Draymond comp is the comp. But the problem with that is I don't want that to be taken. I don't want it to be used as just like a lazy comp because Draymond Green is one of the best defensive players we may have potentially seen in the league. Right. Like, ever. So right. it's like, what, do, you, do you see that? Do you see that you clearly you're, you're high on Scotty's potential defensive upside, but can that be somewhat of a realistic outcome? Because then I feel much better using that comp. He's always gonna be a, he's always gonna be a better scorer than Draymond because he's just a way better athlete and he's longer and taller. And he's not gonna be the post defender. Draymond's an unbelievable post defender. Forget about the other place place he plays defense. The reason why the death lineup occurred. This is this is easy math, guys. The reason why the Warriors had their death lineup that helped them win those first two the first championship anyway, and then win seventy three games is because they could play Draymond at five and he could guard fives. And except for maybe DeMarcus Cousins, nobody could score on him at the five. So uh, I don't project that for Barnes, but he can be a like Barnes in terms of being the overall glue guy on both ends. And, and I just think he'll be a better scorer also. And he doesn't have the baggage Draymond has. He's not the enigmatic guy. He's just the opposite. He's the, he's the Steph Curry, everyone loves to play with you kind of guy. So that's why I'm so high on him. And like I said, there might be a bunch of other players really good too. But I, I think he's going to be a terrific player. Coach, this podcast was everything and more that, that, that I wanted. We, we hit draft stuff. We hit rookies. We hit the league. We, we, uh, I learned something. Our audience will, will absolutely learn something from this. So, again, thank you so much for, for being on. For, for my audience, where can everyone buy your book? How can everyone subscribe to True Hoop? Because pe- people need to be reading and listening to you. You're an incredible basketball mind. Oh, thank you so much. So Basketball is Jazz is still available on Amazon. I'm proud to say that it keeps selling, which is good. It's, a, it's an evergreen book. It's, it's just a story of my life as a player development guy. And, and then also, it's called Basketball is Jazz, Stories and Lessons from a Basketball Lifer. Because the stories are, uh, I'm, I've had people, I've, I've been lucky enough to have people buy the book in bulk for all the coaches in their school or in their county. Lacrosse coaches, swim coaches, tennis coaches, because the stories are really about uh, connecting with people through sports or parenting. The, the lessons part of the stories and lessons are unique to basketball, but I do try to give lessons on the, of the game to better understand it, how to watch it, how to develop it, whatever. So that's, that's on Amazon, truehoop.com. You can subscribe there. You get a newsletter, minimum two a week. We tend to do three or more very often. And then you also get the podcast that we do live, but you could always, always download them later too. And then my app, the, the Pro Training Center, the ProTrainingCenter.com, if you want to just get in better shape and be better at basketball for your pickup games, or if you know someone 
that wants to be better, better basketball as a high school, middle school, college athlete, go to pro, the pro, the pro training center.com. And I'm at coach Thorpe on Twitter and at coach Thorpe on Instagram. Absolutely. Thank you so much again for everything, coach. I, I will want to have you on toward when we get closer to the draft. Yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to want the coach Thorpe top five, not just us talking about the media <laughs> top five. I want the coach Thorpe top five when we get there. So again, happy to Absolutely. Thank you again, everyone, for for listening. You can always find us on your favorite podcast platforms, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, subscribe to the YouTube channel, and follow us on Twitter at DraftDeeper, where we're always talking about draft prospects and the game of basketball as a whole. So thank you again so much for all the support. Everyone have a wonderful rest of your week.